Welcome to the Lake Point Church Weekend Messages Podcast. Thanks for joining us to hear the latest sermons happening at our church. We pray that God speaks to you in a timely way through this message. And if you're encouraged by this podcast, be sure to rate, review, and share it to help get the word out. You can find more digital content to feed your faith and our other podcasts by visiting lakepoint.church/digital. Now, let's tune into the message for today. Point family. And hey, if you got your Bibles, head over to Daniel chapter 5. Daniel 5 is where we're going to be this morning. And uh, hey, I just want to, just real quick, I just want to say um, I love you guys so much. Uh, I, I really do. Uh, let, me, let me tell you why I say that. Like, um, walking into this series, you know, this has been a series where we've hit, like, a couple things have been a little harder to talk about, um, some culturally sensitive issues. And, you know, just to be really honest, um, walking into the series, I was, like, really nervous about this series um, but I had a conviction that, we, that it was needed. And, uh, and walking in, um, I have just been so proud of our church's response um, to uh, teaching God's word throughout this series, even when, like, man, what the Bible says is not, you know, kind of like, you know, what's, what's really popular or easy to hear. And, uh, and so, um, honestly, the last four to five weeks, I have probably received the most encouragement for Bible teaching than any other time in my entire ministry. And I just wanna like, yeah, man. I just wanna say thank you. And uh, man, like, I just, I love you guys so much. You're the best. Let's go to Daniel. All right. Well, here's where we are today. We are in uh, week uh, five or six, I can't remember, of a series that we're gonna call them, Thriving in Babylon. How godly people can thrive in a godless culture. Now, here's a, here's a deal on today's sermon. Um, I do not have an interesting story as an intro. I don't have a cool illustration. I don't have a funny uh, anecdote or story. Um, I've got so much to get to today. We are just jumping right in. We're going right in. So let me start with some context on what's going on in Daniel chapter five. Now, here's what I'm doing in the, in, in the next few seconds, okay? I gotta give you context. This is like part of that show where they go, previously on Stranger Things 2. This is what I'm doing right now, okay? And so uh, let me give you some context on Daniel 5 because what happened is we fast-forwarded 40 years between Daniel 4 and Daniel 5. So at this point, what's happening is uh, the year is 539 B.C., and a dude named Belshazzar is throwing a massive party. I almost called this sermon party like it's 539. That's what I almost did, okay? So what's going on here is uh, <laughs> the year's 539 BC. It's been 70 years since uh, Daniel and his buddies, Israel was conquered and they get shipped as victims of human trafficking over to Babylon, 70 years. So at this point, last chapter, Daniel was like my age. I'm 38 going on 40. Um, last chapter, Daniel's my age. In this chapter, Daniel's at least 80 years old. So Daniel, it, this is old Daniel, this is experienced Daniel, this is full of the spirit and 80 years of prayer Daniel. And so Daniel at this point is a legend. Daniel is retired, he is out of public service, he is at this point, he is out of leadership in, uh, in the political empire of Babylon. And the dude we've been talking about for the last five chapters, Nebuchadnezzar, is dead. He's been dead for 22 years. Now, his uber-spoiled, super-glam, really entitled grandson, Belshazzar, is on the throne. Like, think male Kardashian. That's who we got, okay? 
And what's going on right here is uh, he's, he, he throws this massive party. We're gonna dig right in and I'll, I'll show you what's going on in this chapter. Pick up with me in Daniel 5.1. It says, King Belshazzar gave a great banquet for thousands, for a thousand of his nobles and drank wine. Now let me pause really quick, okay? Now what's happening right here is he, Belshazzar is, throw, this, this is actually contextually important. Belshazzar is throwing a massive party like a raging kegger. And you're gonna see what's going on as I kind of go, go through this, this chapter. What you're gonna see is when it says wine, some of your Bibles point this out. The Aramaic word that gets translated in most translations as wine means lots of wine. I'm gonna show you three things that show this party was like not just a normal party. So pick up, so right there. They drank wine with them. Verse two, while Belshazzar was drinking his wine, he gave orders to bring the gold and silver goblets that Nebuchadnezzar, his father, actually his grandfather, had taken from the temple in Jerusalem so that his kings and his nobles, now let me pause really quick here. Now do you guys remember in Daniel chapter one, when Babylon conquered Israel, uh, they, bring, they plunder God's temple. They bring all the holy instruments, all the plates and cups and silverware, all that stuff, out of the temple, and they bring it over to Babylon, and they put it in the storehouse. That was Nebuchadnezzar's way of going like, ha, our gods are more powerful than your gods. So what happens here is Belshazzar, so one, you got lots of wine, it's a kegger. Two, you've got open sacrilege and open defiance of the one true God. Belshazzar goes, hey, we're gonna take all that stuff from your temple, out of, out of our storehouse, and we're gonna use it in this massive raging kegger where lots of nasty stuff is going on. I'm gonna get to that in a second. So you got lots of wine, you got open blasphemy, and here's what they do. So, the king and his, so that the king and his nobles, his wives and his concubines, that's the third thing. Now, it was normal for a king to bring all his wives to a party. What was totally out of protocol was for a king to bring all of his concubines to a party. So what's happening here, and I'm not gonna get real specific and be real gross, I'm gonna let you figure out what I'm talking about. Uh, what happens here is all the Bible commentators say what Belshazzar's doing is he is bringing his concubines there and offering them to be used by all the nobles. So you got three things going on that just show you, man, this is like, this is like, they're wilding out. So you got one, lots of wine, Number two, open sacrilege. Number three, this environment of crazy sensuality. So what you have here is like if Burning Man and the Met Gala had a baby, you get Daniel 5. Now, really quick, I, I gained half of you and lost half of you with that analogy, and that's a price I'm totally willing to pay. So that's, that's, so that's, that's what you got right, right here. Okay, now, verse three. So they brought in the gold goblets that had been taken from the temple of God in Jerusalem. And the king and his nobles, wives and concubines, they drank from them. And as they drank, something insane happens. As they drank, the wine, they praised the gods of the gold, silver, bronze, iron, wooden, wooden stone. But suddenly, the fingers of a human hand, so not a whole hand, just, just like, not a whole person, just the bloody stump of a severed human hand appeared and wrote on the plaster of the wall. Now again, I'm gonna gain half and lose half right here, but like, do you guys remember a thing from the Adams family? Do you remember that? That's like, again, I gained half and lost half, willing to pay that price. Actually, I gained the other half that I lost earlier, so that's okay. <clears throat> appeared and wrote on the plaster of the wall near the lampstand of the royal palace and the king watched the hand as it wrote. Now, when that happens, like that will sober you up really fast. That is a turnoff, man. And so what happened is Nebuchadnezzar, or Belshazzar, he gets scared. Uh, he freaks out and actually um, how freaked out he gets, most of your Bible's translation actually does not adequately describe this. So I actually have a different translation for verse six. It just says this, then all the color from the king's face uh, drained from the king's face and he became alarmed. His knees began knocking together. There, thanks for that. There, you got that camera angle. There we go. 
And, uh, and the joint, it says the joints of his hips gave way. Now, I love this phrase, the joints of his hips gave way. Here's what uh, Bible linguistics scholars say. What that actually means is he soiled himself. That's what that phrase, like Belshazzar was deeply moved, if you know what I mean. So that's what happens right here now. So this hand writes something on the wall. A thousand guests see it, but none of them can read it. And so Belshazzar does the same thing Nebuchadnezzar did. He's like, hey, magicians, enchanters, false prophets, you know, uh, demonic, false, whatever, religious leader. Hey, y'all come in here. What in the world does that mean? And a thousand people can't read it. Now, real quick, this is free. Here's why they couldn't read it. Because if the Spirit of God gives a revelation, only the Spirit of God can give an interpretation. The Spirit of Babylon cannot give an interpretation for a revelation from the Spirit of God. That's why... In 2 Corinthians, it says the world does not understand the things of the Spirit because these things are spiritually discerned. you got to have the Spirit of God in you to understand and receive revelation that comes from the Spirit of God. So none of them can do it because they're full of the Spirit of Babylon instead of the Spirit of God. So what happens is, um, uh, watch this. It, uh, Belshazzar calls in his grandmother, Nebuchadnezzar, Nebuchadnezzar, remember Nebuchadnezzar, Nebuchadnezzar's wife. She comes in and she goes, whoa, 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 whoa. Like, this has happened before. She goes, man, I remember these times when my husband, Nebuchadnezzar, he had these dreams, and nobody could interpret what was going on. But there was one person in the kingdom, and here's what she says, who was full of the spirit of the gods. And she goes, man, that guy, this guy's name was Daniel. And this guy had the ability to interpret things that only God could know. So Belshazzar calls Daniel out of retirement. So Daniel's coming out of retirement. Think like Michael Jordan wearing a wizard's jersey. Daniel comes out of retirement and he's 80. Give, give me the full body shot right here. Let me get, I, I wanna, can, do you have that? Okay, that's the best we can do, I guess. And so Daniel, he's like, he's walking his way up here. He's 80. And he's like, he looks at it and he goes, oh yeah, like, pff, I know exactly what that means. That's like, that's like literally my life motto. And Daniel interprets what, what was written on the wall, Daniel 5, 25. He says, this is the inscription that was written. Four letters. Mene, mene, tekel, parson. And then he gives an interpretation of them. He goes, mene, that means numbered. God has numbered your days, Belshazzar, and you're coming to an end. By the way, when you're 80, you'll say anything, you don't care. Daniel's going, hey man, your, your days are numbered, you're coming to an end, I'm gonna say it, I don't care, I, you know, I'm 80. Then tekel means weighed, you have been weighed in the balance and found wanting, and parson means divided. Your kingdom is gonna be divided between the Medes and the Persians. Now real quick, because this is awesome. Okay, so the Bible doesn't tell us this, but archeological history and historians tell us this. You know what happened? Exactly that. Literally the day after Daniel chapter five is recorded, history tells us that the Medo-Persian Empire came up to the walls of Babylon. There was a massive river that flowed underneath the walls of Babylon and that's how they got their water source. And the Medo-Persian Empire rerouted that entire river upstream so that the river uh, receded real low and they marched their entire army straight under the walls of Babylon and conquered the entire nation. That happened the next day. Many, many tekel parson. Numbered, weighed, divided. Now, here's what I'm doing in this message, okay? The last four messages that I've done have been all about influence, how we resist the influence of the world and exert influence on the world. 
The last two messages of the series are about where we get the resources to be people of courage and conviction in, uh, in a, a, a godless culture, okay? So here's what I'm doing. This week is about perspective. Numbered, weighed, divided, Daniel had this perspective that gave him the ability to do what he did. Next week is about hope. You need perspective and hope if you're gonna make it. So this week's, next week, is a, we're gonna take all the prophecy that happens in Daniel and talk about the end of the world and the return of Christ. Okay, don't miss it, it's gonna be fun. It's gonna be a lot of fun, okay? So this week we're doing perspective, okay, perspective. Numbered, weighed, divided. I'm gonna take each one of those. Numbered, weighed, divided. And that's a perspective you need to have to walk wisely with courage, conviction, and power uh, wherever you are. So I'm gonna take each of those and then walk through them. So here we go, all right, numbered. Number one, numbered. Numbered, okay. Mene equals numbered. Now, uh, a couple quick things about this party. So I told you, Raging Kegger told you this thing's unique. What history tells us is there's a context to this party, okay? One week before this party happened, seven to 10 days, a guy named Cyrus the Persian marched his entire army, again from the Medo-Persian Empire's military, to within 50 miles of the city of Babylon and conquered the entire gathered army of Babylon. So when we get to Daniel 5, uh, the Babylonian Empire is without an army. The Medo-Persian military is 50 miles away. They are all simply awaiting their inevitable death and Belshazzar throws a massive party. Now you may hear that and you may go, man, who in the world would do that? Like what sort of idiot when death is right on his doorstep throws a big party just to distract himself? Well, you know who does that? You. You do that. What we mostly do is we spend our entire lives distracting ourselves from the reality and certainty of our coming death. Have you ever thought about this before? The original lie that Satan whispered to Eve in Genesis one through three was watch this. He said, you will not surely die. He's been doing the same thing ever since. That what he convinces us to do is even when we know propositionally that our days are numbered, he convinces us to live oblivious to the fact of the reality of our coming death and the permanence of eternity. Um, one, of, one of the guys I had to read a lot in uh, high school and college was, uh, I, I read a lot of this guy named Blaise Pascal. Um, Blaise Pascal was a French philosopher and mathematician that like later in his life converted to Christ and uh, wrote this really cool book called The Pensies about his uh, relationship with Jesus. Uh, what he said is he said that our entire lives uh, for the human race are like one massive party with like loud music and drinking and dancing and laughter. And he said, our entire life is like this big party and uh, all of a sudden, this monster bursts through the door, grabs one of the partygoers, mauls him to death. Everybody looks and sees his bloody corpse lying on the ground. And then that monster drags the bloody corpse out of the room and the door closes. And he says, it's as if for about 10 seconds, everyone quietly looks around, stunned at each other. And then all of a sudden, Music starts back up again. Everybody starts laughing and drinking and telling jokes and they go back to dancing. And he says, everybody does that for about 10, 15 minutes. And then once again, monster bursts through the door, mauls somebody, bloody corpse on the ground, drags it out, door closes. Everybody looks around for a few seconds quiet and then goes right back. Music up, dancing, laughing, partying, drinking, all that stuff. And it happens over and over and over again until everyone at the party realizes eventually that monster's coming for me. And what Blaise Pascal says is he says, that monster is our impending death. 
and our preferred way of dealing with it is via distraction. Now, I've got a visual uh, illustration for each one of these things. Here's what I got for numbered, is I got an hourglass, okay? This is your life, and I need you to understand this, that, that the Bible says that your days are numbered, that there is a fixed number of days that you will have in your life, just like there is a fixed number of grains of sand in this hourglass, and every single day, one of those days moves from the hasn't happened yet side to the already spent side. Now, the number of grains of sand in this hourglass is fixed. You can't add any, you can't subtract any, and you spend one every so often, and once they're done, they're done. Now, that's your life. Your days are numbered. Everybody in this room, everybody, listen to my book, knows that you've got a birthday. Once upon a time, there was one day where you wriggled out of your mom like that thing from Alien, and you know exactly when that day was. That day is fixed, that day is in stone, you know when it is. What most people spend their lives ignoring is you've got a death day. There is a day somewhere in front of you that God has fixed. Even though you don't know it, it is just as certain, it is set in stone, it is coming. And what the Bible teaches us is that it's the people who reflect on the fact that their days are numbered who spend their days the wisest. In fact, the Bible says this in, 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 in the Psalms. It just says, teach us to number our days so that we may get a heart of wisdom. It's the people who think about death most that live their lives best, okay? Um, now, I'm gonna tell a story. When I tell this, don't freak out. It's got a happy ending. Um, this was really uh, brought home to me in a unique way this year. Uh, I, I didn't tell anybody but Janet about this. Um, earlier this year, I had uh, a, a medical condition where, and don't try to guess, it'd be real weird, where, uh, you know, it's one of those things where like, um, you know how like you go to WebMD and like you'll type in your symptoms and it'll be like, hey, you know, I, I have a little cough and my nose is runny. And you'll hit enter, like what do I have? And WebMD will be like, you have four days to live, you know? It was one of those things where I went and typed in my symptoms and it was like, actually, like that actually really is like a symptom of sometimes like an aggressive form of cancer. And so, um, you know, I did what everybody, did. you know, I scheduled like a, this procedure to get done, to check, you know, do a quick check, figure out, like make sure everything's okay. And, uh, and so, you know, it's one of those things where like I had to fast for 24 hours before the procedure. So I come in to get this procedure done. I'm fasting, I'm nervous, I'm lightheaded, my blood sugar's low. I, you know, I'm just like, you know, all lightheaded. So I walk in and, uh, and they gotta put an IV in. And uh, first time my whole life this has ever happened, the nurse missed my vein. And so nurse misses my vein, and you guys know what happens, like the blood starts doing that thing, and I'm already like lightheaded, so I like almost passed out. For real, as soon as she missed my vein, her eyes got real big, and she just went, I go to Lake Point, and I, I, I was just nervous. You know, I'm like, oh, it's okay, it's okay, you know, it's okay. And uh, so I had the procedure, and everything was fine. You know, to, you know, no issues whatsoever, clean bill health. What was really interesting was in the week between when I realized I had this issue and when uh, I got the results of this scan, what was really interesting is that stuff that was usually really important to me seemed really, really stupid for that week. You know, that week it was like, how many likes did I get on my Facebook post? <sighs> you know, so dumb. <laughs> for one week, 
in my life, you know, it was like, you know, oh no, my team lost on Saturday. You know, it just seems so stupid. Oh no, somebody has a wrong opinion on the internet. It's like, okay. For one week in my life, two things mattered. The people that I love and did I live my life for the glory of God. That's all that mattered. Teach us to number our days that we may get a heart of wisdom. Can I just be really honest with you? Do you know why Daniel lives so different than Belshazzar in this story? Because when you know your days are numbered, you start living for the kingdom that will never end instead of the one in which you find yourself. Like, let me just say something kind of really straightforward. Um, So a million years ago, when I went to high school in the 90s, they, uh, like back then, there, there was this group of people that they used to say, oh man, like those people live what they called an alternative lifestyle. They live alternative lifestyle. And back then, an alternative lifestyle was like people who had lots of sex. They had like, they were always angry at the system filled with like perpetual outrage, lots of drugs and alcohol. And back then, an alternative lifestyle was like a dude dating a dude or a girl dating a girl. That was an alternative lifestyle. Can I be really honest? Guys, everybody's doing that now. Like, like that, that, that's the, you wanna live an alternative lifestyle now? Here's what you do. Read your Bible, go to church, love one woman your whole life if you're a man, love one man your whole life if you're a woman, have kids and enjoy them, be kind and gracious instead of outrage addicted. That, that, that's like, like now, now, obedience is the only rebellion left. That's it. Now, here's what I know, man. Let me just acknowledge something, man. Like, this whole series, just a few people, you may have been listening to this series, you may be like, man, Josh, like, man, I'm just really disappointed. I thought that you were a young, progressive pastor. I am. I'm trying to help you progress into the image of Jesus Christ. That's what we're trying to do, okay? So man, when you understand that your days are numbered, you start living for the values of the kingdom that'll never end, all right? Now, number two, number two, Wade. Tekel, many, many, tekel means Wade. Okay, now, here, here, let me give you a little context here. Re- really interesting. This is one of only three times in the whole Bible where you see the finger of God. All right? This is interesting. Okay, so rewind to Exodus 31. Moses goes up on the mountain, Mount Sinai, get the Ten Commandments. He comes back down, shining face, Shekinah glory. He's got the Ten Commandments, and he says, hey, I saw the finger of God etch these commands, by the way, by which they were judged, Etch these commands into this stone. Finger of God appearance number one. This is number two in Daniel chapter five when Belshazzar is judged. The other one is fast forward to the Gospel of John. By the way, I mentioned this a few uh, months ago. If you heard it before, just laugh along with me and act like you never heard it before. So the other one is, is in Gospel of John. That one time when Jesus, by the way, who was the image of the invisible God, There was this one time where all these Pharisees, they bring out this woman caught in adultery, and by the way, they don't bring out the man. The man gets off scot-free. The only person they wanna judge is the woman. Let the reader understand. And they set her down, surrounded by all these Pharisees with rocks in their hands. And they're like, hey, they're getting ready to stone her to death. And Jesus like runs up. I picture him like running up, and he like wraps himself around this woman and puts himself between her and their stones. And he looks back at them and he says, let he who is without sin cast the first stone. And then it says that Jesus took his finger, the finger of God, and he stoops down and he starts writing something in the sand. 
And as soon as he starts writing, it says that one by one, all those Pharisees started leaving the oldest first and then the youngest. And here's what I think Jesus was doing. I think he was writing the names of those guys' mistresses in the sand. He went like, Sally. Sarah. Well, uh, so this is what you got, all three stories. The finger of God comes and it's always bringing judgment every time. Moral of the story, you don't want God to give you the finger. Okay, you don't want that, all right? That's the moral of the story. Now, what this means here is it's, it's always about judgment, okay? So tekel equals judgment, finger of God. So here's my illustration, here's my visual illustration for this, is a scale. And what this is, we don't, we don't use these very often anymore, but it says, you have been put in the scales and found wanting. Now in this, here's how this works is when somebody uses a scale, they put one weight on one side of the scale and that turn, that's, that's the standard measure. And then to measure anything else, they'll put it on the other side of the scale. And if it's even like a hair off from the weight of the thing that's in this side, well then the scales will tip this way and it means that what was on this side was, watch this, weighed and found wanting. In other words, didn't have enough weight. Now, what God is saying in this passage is he's just pointing out the reality that, listen, we don't like, in fact, we hate this in our culture, but it's true. And I don't write the mail, it's my job to deliver the mail, is that, listen, every single person will stand before the judgment seat of God. That God is ultimately the judge. The Bible says that it is appointed unto man once to die and then comes judgment, which means if you're still breathing, there's still hope. But every single person will stand before the judgment seat of God. And what the Bible says is that what's gonna go on this side of the scales is Jesus. The glory of Jesus is gonna go on that side of the scales. By the way, did you know this, Bible scholars? The word glory means weight. Kavod, weight. The full weight of the glory of Jesus will go on one side and then every single person who has ever lived will be weighed on the other side. And guess what will happen? Is every single person will be weighed and found wanting. We will face the reality of human sinfulness and judgment. And listen, can we be honest? We hate that. We hate it. Do you know why we hate it? Here's why we hate it, because our whole lives, here's how we function. When I sin, when you sin, I become a judge. When, when I sin, I become a defense attorney. That's what we do. When you sin, I'm a judge. Whoa, 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 look what you did. Injustice, outrage, cancel. When I sin, I become a defense attorney. Whoa, 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 I had a really good reason. Like, you're actually misunderstanding what's going on. Like, it was, you know, fundamental misattribution error. You don't understand. When you sin, I become a judge. When I sin, I become a defense attorney. This is nowhere more seen than when you walk into the 10 items or less checkout lane at Kroger. <laughs> By the way, the first time I mentioned this, the Kroger next to my house removed the 10 items or less checkout lane that week. So I don't know if you attend Lake Point, but if so, man, thank you for lowering my blood pressure. So here's what happened. Let me give an example. So what happens, me and Eliana, my oldest daughter, we'll a lot of times run in to grab something, and we'll, we're trying to, you know, we're in a hurry, having people over. So we'll get in the 10 items or less checkout lane. The first thing I do when I get in that lane is I look at the cart of the person in front of me, and I start counting. So I'll count, and it'll be like, <laughs> it'll be like all right, 1, 3, 4, 5, 6, 7, 8, 9, 10, 11, 12. Oh, no, man, ain't no way. And so I'll double count, one of you, five, six, seven, eight, nine, 10, 11, 12. And if, when I get past 10 the second time, like this irrepressible rage wells up within me. I'll like start saying passive aggressive things out loud to Eliana just loud enough so they can hear them. Like, babe, what do you think the problem is? Can they not count or can they not read? Which one do you think it is? You know, that kind of thing. And then, so it's like, I'm, when they sin, I'm a judge. But watch this. If I'm running in and we're having a party at our house and I've got 11 items, 
Eliana would be like, Dad, you got 11 items. I'm like, oh, whoa, 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 babe. Like, that's Coke and Diet Coke. Same family, that counts as one. <laughs> when you sin, I become a judge. When I sin, I become a defense attorney. That's why we hate, we hate the idea that we could be judged and found wanting. Do you know why we don't like this? We don't like this because from the minute you were born, you've been told you're a snowflake, you're a puppy's breath, you're a rainbow, here's your medal. And by the way, all you need to fulfill your, your full potential is a life coach who gives you good tips. But guys, listen to me. We are not mistakers in need of a life coach. We are sinners in need of a savior. That is the only thing, our only hope, our only hope in life and death is that. In fact, the reason, do you know why Daniel had such courage? Do you know what the name Daniel means? The Hebrew name Daniel means God is my judge. The implication of that is, and Belshazzar is not. And so Daniel lived his life knowing that he would be judged by God and nobody else. And so only God's opinion mattered. Let, let me get, oh man, I love this so much. I'm, I'm making sure I got time to do it. I got time to do it, I'm gonna do it. Do you know why God, I skipped this in chapter one. This was an Easter egg. Do you know why God allowed Israel to be conquered and taken to Babylon? Because when God gave Israel the land of Canaan, he also gave them instructions on how the land was to be used. In Leviticus 25, God gave them a command, hey, you can farm all this land, but every seven years, you, by my command, have to not farm the land and let it go dormant to replenish. Now, by the way, agricultural, uh, agricultural uh, leaders, people, <laughs> they figured out in the last 100 years that that's actually the best way to farm land. Like in the last hundred years, we figured that out to let the nutrients land replenish. I love when the hard sciences catch up to the Bible. Uh, I like when that happens. Now, so watch this. God tells Israel every seven years, don't farm the land. For 400, and I'm asking you to do some math, so keep these numbers in your head. For 490 years, they disobey God's command. Now, do this math with me. If every seven years, they were supposed to not farm the land, and they disobeyed that command for 490 years. So 490 divided by seven, how many years did they owe God? 70. Guess how many years to the day Israel was in Babylon? 70, 70. Do you know the point of that? The point of this is that all of our sin, all our folly and all, all, all our rebellion will ultimately be paid for. You are not getting away with anything. We are storing up everything for the day of God's judgment and wrath. In fact, Romans 3, 23, it just says it like this. It says, for everyone has sinned and we all fall short of God's glorious standard. Everybody. Now, when I walk around, like in, even the questions people ask me, I see that we are totally oblivious to the reality of our sinfulness before holy God. You, you guys know one of the most common questions people ask me, people that are, are wrestling with faith, is that they ask this question like, man, Josh, like, man, here's why I, I struggle to believe in the God of the Bible. Because like, man, why do bad things happen to good people? Why do bad things happen to good people? I just can't get past it. In fact, that's the reason I can't believe. Why do bad things happen to good people? But guys, think about that. The baseline assumption between the objection bad things happen to good people is that we are so good that that we only deserve good things to happen to us and that God is actually the one that's in the wrong if he ever allows anything bad to happen to us. That's the baseline assumption. Because listen to me, uh, the great theologian R.C. Sproul, somebody one time asked him that question. Dr. Sproul, why do bad things happen to good people? When they asked him that question, he flipped over to the crucifixion account in the Bible, pointed at his Bible, and he said, why do bad things happen to good people? 
in all of human history, that's only happened once and he volunteered for it. Guys, the story of human history is not good guys and bad guys. The story of human history is we are all bad guys and there's only ever been one good guy and his name was Jesus and he came to save us from our sins. That is the story of all of human history. Now listen, the cross proved two things forever in all time. Simultaneously, the cross proved that man hated God enough to kill him and that God loved man enough to die for him. Which brings me to the final thing that God told Belshazzar is he said, many, many tekel parson, and parson means divided. He said, listen, you gotta pay for your sins. And because you gotta pay for your sins, your kingdom is gonna be divided and death is gonna come to your house this very night. And that's exactly what happened. But listen, that is not the only time in the Bible when a kingdom was ripped from its king. You see, God is just, and so payment for sins had to be made, but God is love, and so he made that payment himself. And so in just a few hundred years, another king would come from another kingdom, Jesus. Jesus would come from a heavenly kingdom, and he would come here. And though he never did anything wrong, he would have his kingdom ripped from his hands, and he would be divided, which leads me to my visual illustration for divided. Give me that shot of the cross. The visual illustration for divided is the cross, and I want you to think about this, that when Jesus came to earth, the eternal ancient of days had his very own days numbered. Perfection himself had all of our sins loaded on him, and Jesus was put in the scales and found wanting. And think about this, keep looking at that cross, think about this. Do you remember when Jesus died? They took his kingdom, all of his earthly possessions, and they gathered him. All he had was a few garments. And what the Bible says is that those guys that were there, they took his garments and they divided them. You see, Jesus himself was numbered, weighed, and divided for you. Here's the message of the gospel. You are so bad that Jesus had to die for you. But you are so loved by God that he was glad to die for you. He did that for you. Now here's a choice, God's given you a choice. Because Jesus came to the cross, God's not like, man, God, God's like, hey, I don't, I don't want you to die for your sins. I don't want that. He's saying, you got a choice. Either Jesus can pay the penalty for your sins at the cross, and God's going, that's my choice. Or you're gonna have to pay the penalty for your own sins for eternity in hell. And he's going, hey, you choose. Whichever one you want, you can pick one of those two things, but you gotta choose by faith. And when that happens, when you place your faith in Jesus, a trade happens. Everything that is yours becomes his, your sin. And everything that is his becomes yours, his righteousness. That's what happens when you place your faith in Jesus. Here, let me land the plane like this. Here, here's my analogy. So in our culture, we don't do scales, we do bank accounts. It's not weighed and found wanting, it's, it's like, was there enough in the account, okay? So watch this, um, when Jan and I got married in 2005, uh, I did not have, uh, I was a camp counselor earning $12,000 per year. Uh, Jana was my sugar mama for the first year of our marriage. <laughs> Jana had a full-time job with benefits as a teacher. And so on October 8th, 2005, I walked up to a beach in Gulf Shores, Alabama, and uh, Jana said, I do, and I said, I do. And in that moment, I gained a few things. I gained the most beautiful woman in the whole world, I gained the person that would eventually become my best friend. 
and I gained a bride. But I also gained a monthly paycheck. <laughs> and here's what happened, is that Jana kept going to work, and after then we had a joint account, and Jana would go do all the work, her check would get deposited into our joint account, and I could make withdrawals anytime I wanted. So watch this, she did all the work, I got all the money. That is what happens when you place your faith in Jesus. He did all the work and you get all his righteousness so that you will not be put in the scales and found wanting because his glory is on you. Now, let me make this really, really clear. What that means is that when I die, Josh Howerton dies and I stand before God and he asks me, Josh Howerton, why are you worthy to get into heaven? <laughs> I already know what I'm gonna say. I I'll say something like this. I'll say, man, why are you worthy? I'll say, because I loved you so perfectly that I'd never lived for anything more than you. Because I was so pure in my entire life that I never had a single lustful thought in my entire life. Because I resisted the temptation of the devil in the wilderness and I stood up to him to his face. I'm worthy to get in because I was so full of love that when people were mocking me and crucifying me, I prayed to you, Father, forgive them for they know not what they do. And I'm worthy to get in because I gave away every penny that I had to the poor. And if you hear that and you're like, whoa, whoa, when did you do any of those things? Well, here's my response. I didn't do a single one of those things, but Christ did them for me. And because I've been united to him by faith, I have his righteousness on me and that can happen for you. So I wanna ask you, man, like, are you ready to make that trade? You ready to do that? Some of you guys, you've been around Lake Point for like five or six weeks and you're realizing that you need to cross a line of faith and give your life to him. And if that's you, um, I want you to just pray this prayer with me. So at all of our campuses right now, would you bow your heads and close your eyes? Everybody right now, bow your heads and close your eyes. And if you're realizing that you need to cross a line of faith, just pray this from a sincere heart. Just pray, Lord, I know that I've sinned. And I need your forgiveness. Pray this, pray, I believe that Jesus died for my sins and that he rose again. By faith, I receive your gift of eternal life. Thank you, God, for loving me. And then pray this from a sincere heart. Just pray, from this day forward, as best as I know how, I will live for you first. Thank you, God, for making me a son or a daughter. Now keep your heads bowed and eyes closed. And um, here in a second, um, when I count to three, if you cross the line of faith today, I'm gonna ask you to shoot your hand in the air. And listen, let me just say this. Don't you ever be ashamed of what God is doing in your life. Never. And I'm gonna ask you to do that for two reasons. One, just so like we as pastors know who we're praying for. But two, because I believe something solidifies in you spiritually when you, when you respond physically. So on the count of three, if that was you, no shame, hand up in there real high. Count of three, one, God loves you. Two, you came here for a reason today. Three, put your hand up in the air right now, real high. Everybody crossing a line of faith. Keep them up. Oh man, amen. Keep them up, keep them up. All over the room, people are crossing lines of faith. Yes, keep them up. Not ashamed. Man, yes. Man, amen. Amen. 
Amen. Thanks for listening today. For more biblical teaching and worship, join us for our church online live weekend services on Saturdays at 5 p.m. and Sundays at 9.30 and 11 a.m. Central Standard Time. For more information about all the digital ministries of Lake Point, visit lakepoint.church/digital. Thank you.